This podcast is sponsored by our fine patrons. To find out how you can support the show, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Give a little, get a lot of podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. How are you, Tom? I have been better. What's the matter? No, I'm actually really good. Uh, <laughs> I, I did get the con crud after Dragon nice Con, fake though. Out. Wow. Wow, was that bad. You were knocked out? Uh, I was not knocked out. I got back up again. You can never keep me down. <laughs> I but was... I could not have a whiskey drink or a lager drink or any of those for a couple oh, of weeks. Not even a cider drink? No. What about a vodka drink? No. Man, what are we going to but... sing to the songs of the best times with? Uh, the, well, I could sing <laughs> about the songs of the better times. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, are you drinking anything in particular today or just tea, water? water? I'm having a um, vitamin B12 concoction. Uh, it is uh, gives me energy. We are old. Or <laughs> We're old. Healthy. <laughs> Living the good life, Tom. You know what? Another thing for word for old is healthy. Healthy. Caring about my health. Yeah. Wanting to live an extra few years. Whatever. Exactly. No big deal. Not wanting to miss the ability to download your consciousness into a cyber robot. Tom, we are so gonna miss it. I'm going to be the last person to die. You We're know, I've told you this fantasy before, right? Definitely going to be dead before that happens. Totally sorry. my fear. Totally my fear is that the singularity happens. Like I'm reading the paper about how no one will ever die again. And I die right then. Like, <laughs> and then I'm the last one. <laughs> and you haven't taken any precautions. So you're just screwed. It's like, you know, they're saying like, maybe one person will die today. And then that will be the end. And then it, I'm out. And it's you. Wow. That is really yeah. depressing. I'm so sorry. Do you have like dreams about that? No, I don't have dreams about it. I, I just often think like I should write a short story based on that. But we already know how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, it would be you, you die. Yeah. All right. Well, well, that was the whole machine of death anthology. You knew somebody was going to have a machine that would tell them when they were going to die. Well, it's a different, a little bit of a different idea. It's all the telling idea. of the story, Veronica. By the way, if you guys haven't read the machine of death anthology one or two, you really should because they are amazing and Absolutely. we're huge fans and it was a big inspiration for us to do the Sword and Laser anthology and we actually talked to those guys and asked for help on how to do an anthology and they were very helpful. So we, we highly recommend those books. They are great. But let's move on to the rest of the podcast and start things off with the quick burns. So I'm excited. Um, about this new product. I haven't had a chance to try it out yet. Tom apparently has. It's called Shelfie, and it's Shazam for your bookshelf, according to TechCrunch. Yeah, don't be off-put by the cutesy app name. Uh, this is a pretty great app. You point it at your shelf. You line it up to the right. It tells you what to do on the screen. You take a picture of your bookshelf, and then it identifies the spines of the books and catalogs them for you. Now that, my friends, would be enough for many of you because you're cataloging nerds like me. Mm -hmm. But it also will then look up and try to find either free or cheap ebook versions of the books you have on your shelf. Which is so great. There, yeah, there are some deals out there, which many of you might not know about, where if you own a print version of a book, if you verify that you own the print version, you can get a reduced price ebook version or sometimes even a free ebook version of that book. 
So does this somehow verify it? Does this count as verification? Because you've taken yeah, a picture of it? Yeah, you can use the it? Shelfie app to do the verification. It's pretty oh. awesome. Wasn't a- and Amazon did something similar to this, wherein if you had ordered a book on Amazon that was a, a hardcover edition, you could get the ebook version for a discounted rate, I believe, as right. well. And sometimes free, depending on the publisher. But this is also just fun so you, so you can have a list of the books that you have in hardcover or paperback on your shelf already, just in case you want to remember what you have over there. Um, it, it would be a nice just way to catalog it. And I really was not expecting it to do very well. Mm-hmm. And it, I swear, I've got 90 plus percent of the books. And I got some old paperbacks that are weird that yeah. I was able to figure out. Like, it must do some text recognition or something because it's, uh, it's more than just, like, there's, there's no way it should have known some of these books, and it still did. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download it right now. How do you feel about that? I feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, I have no vested interest in the company but <laughs> you're not you you're not an investor sh- you can be my shelfie friend yay oh we get to have friends on there too that's oh, yeah, what i need yeah. another social network you can share your bookshelf with other people and then you can see what's on their bookshelf and it's kind of cool how long before amazon buys this company uh oh this just in no, i'm just kidding <laughs> uh meanwhile sporadic reviews over on our goodreads forum thank you to everybody who puts together the quick burns for us every week you guys are great uh sporadic reviews points out that the next expanse novel babylon's ashes has revealed its cover now the book doesn't come out till june 2016 which i always consider to be like james s.a Corey's little birthday present to me because my birthday's in June, and then they always put out a new Expanse novel. So thanks, guys. Uh, but yeah, Babylon's Ashes is coming out June 2016, and you can look at the cover and wish that you could read it. Are you all caught up? You are, right? Oh, yeah. I'm way caught up. And you're still enjoying the I've books? read the short story based on the TV show. Wow. I've read the mini books, the novellas, uh, James S.A. Corey's personal email. Mm, no, I haven't, okay. I haven't done that. Okay, well... Calm down there, fanboy. Calm down. Uh, I went through his trash. <laughs> his Wouldn't that be awesome if I, like, the, I, the... I just found a guy named Jim Corey and I, I was stalking him and they're like, um, actually, James S.A. Corey is two people. That's not that guy. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's, that's funny. I would definitely put that into the funny category like and a... not the concerning category. <laughs> not that you're, you need to have me committed. Yeah. Uh, as a skit. Let's say just as, a, real. as a real life skit as like, as real life we're just improving here, <laughs> no, guys. Just, it's yeah. not, it's, this is fake. It's a flash I'm not, mob. I'm not actually stalking you. I'm just, it's a skit. It's for, it's for the lulls. Officer, I'm, doing, I'm doing it for the lulls. Don't you understand humor? I know, I know those guys. They're cool. They don't mind if I stalk people in their name, whatever. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Rob Secunda says, maybe not worthy of a segment. It is, Rob. It is. But all-country rock singer Ryan Adams just released a cover album of noted pop star and possible escapee from the realm of the Fae, Taylor Swift's 1989. Why does Adams think the T-Swizz is so successful? Well, she's just like the Kwisatz Chatterack. Ryan Adams said, there's that special, very interesting ingredient where you hear a skeleton of the song, just the bones and her voice, and you go, well, of course, this person plays to 60 thousand people it's like at the end of dune when paul atreides riding the sandworm and his eyes are all blue from the spice melange that's totally how i see taylor she is the quizat's haderach that is such a weird <laughs> thing to say about a person like i just want to kind of go into ryan adams's mind and be like i want to live in here it's so lyrical it's so lyrical and uh when you think about it taylor's eyes are oddly blue 
She's definitely Faye. No, I don't know. She's on is the she, spice. Is she Fee? Is she Fee? <laughs> fee? I don't think she's Fee. <laughs> no, I think I think she's Fremen. You think she's a Fremen? Yeah. All Real right. skinny. She's not water fat. You know, no, got no. those weird blue eyes. Not an ounce of water fat on her. Every <laughs> once in a while, if you're uh, hanging around after a concert, you might see her uh, call for a worm <laughs> to ride to her next you know, gig. I never thought I would read a story about Taylor Swift and Paul Atreides together. <laughs> I in the same sentence. Didn't either, and it entertains me greatly. Like Taylor Swift needs to stop. What do you? She, what? What are you talking about? She is starting to become too powerful. She's very powerful. <laughs> she has conquered Apple. Yeah. She, she has conquered Ryan Adams, and now she's about to conquer Arrakis. If you're a young, beautiful female in the greater LA area or New York City. You can be absorbed into her sphere of influence just like that. Like you may not even be a fan of Taylor Swift, but if you're cute enough and rich enough, you'll just be absorbed like a tornado into her sphere of influence. And then suddenly you're one of her best friends. Like suddenly you'll just wake up and you'll find yourself in her Instagrams. Yeah. And you won't know how it happened. Well, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like a day of the doctor. Like you, you can see them moving in the (laughs) photographs, like trying to, to get out. Right. And they're actually alien life forms. Um, Wait, wasn't there a girl in the background of that photo? (laughs) Poor thing. Poor, poor thing. Uh, So from Taylor Swift's conquering of the Frank Herbert universe to Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer's conquering of our hearts with their blog post welcoming their new child, Anthony, or as Neil calls him, Squeaker. Oh, there's a baby. September 16th. A Anthony Gaiman babbit. was born. Congratulations, Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer. Yay, that's exciting. That is very cool. Um, oh, hey, speaking of startups uh, in the book space, Oyster. Also oh, I love Oyster. Do you? Yeah, you know, I've been meaning to subscribe. Well, guess uh, what? I'm glad you brought it up and remind me so, so I should go subscribe. Yeah, well, according to Terp Kristen, so long, Oyster. Oh. The the Netflix of ebooks is shutting down, and most of the team is apparently oh. going to join Google. Uh, she goes on to say the co-founders were definitely hired by Google, but it seems that a bunch of the staff may have been too. Mm-hmm. Will be interesting to see what Google does with this, if anything. Now, I initially thought, based on what I saw in TechCrunch, that this was an aqua hire, but you think it's just a straight up hire. And then they're just yeah. going to dump no, the product. You would be forgiven for thinking it's an aqua hire. If anybody doesn't know that term, it means you acquire a company for the in talent. order to just hire the people. It's yeah. easier to buy the company than to hire people. Google did it the hard way. Apparently, they just hired all the people from Oyster. Not every single one, but the majority of them. Mm-hmm. And then compensated the Oyster investors because, well, the Oyster had to shut down because Google hired all the people away. <laughs> I'm a little prickly about the whole oyster situation because when I was at XOXO, um, one of their employees said that I was an internet old. Well, they don't have a job with oyster anymore. Or he's rich now. It's, he, it's they either, have a really lucrative job. Either he's Google. a very rich 26-year-old or he's out of work. So I don't know which way it went. I'm not going to say which way I hope it went, but... You, I'm not I know. old. I know you're such a good person. You hope that he, he got really rich. I do. I do. I definitely do. <laughs> uh, hey, to, Terp Kristen with the twofer. Storybundle.com is doing a bundle of 11 books that were finalists or winners of the Philip K. Dick Award, which, by the way, when I first saw this, I thought it was 11 Philip K. Dick books as a hum- <laughs> humble bundle, but it's almost as good. Winners of the Philip K. Dick Award, which honors distinguished science fiction. Uh, it goes on until about mid-October. So go to storybundle.com slash PKD 
award. And it's uh, it's one of those bundles where you name your price. That's awesome. I love Humble Bundle, and I love it when they do book ones. Well, this is Story Bundle. Yeah. Oh, is it's it not? not? There's nothing humble about them. They are proud. Wait, is it not related to Humble Bundle? You know, I don't know if it's related, but it's a different website. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. I'm sure this one's good, too. Proud Bundle. <laughs> it's All right. Uh, and... You have to pay at least $15 to get the five bonus books, yeah. by the way. So it's not all name name any. You can't name $0 or even 14 Hmm. Okay. I'm confused. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Warren says that scientists for the first time confirmed that liquid water is flowing on the surface of present-day Mars. Why is this relevant to our particular show? Because it's happening just on the eve of the premiere of The Martian. Yay! Coincidence? I think not. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Matt Damon is well-connected to NASA, and I have to believe that he has paid them off to discover water on Mars the week of is his... The, is the release tomorrow? <laughs> Uh, well, it's this week. It's this I, week. I know, but I can't figure out what day it is. I'm on the IMDb page. It's Tuesday page. today as we are. It's usually Tuesday they come today. Out, they usually come out Fridays. Is it? Right. It got an earlier release? I'm looking at the release date. It says, but it says USA that it premiered on the 27th at the New York Film Festival, but that's not the wide release. No. And that's now I just, just can't remember. That's a film festival showing. Uh, Siri. When does the Martian October second? It's October second, so it'll be on Friday. Yes. Okay. So I'm excited. As yeah, but that is uh, man. This is it's big news. Like they they kind of knew that there was something going on up there. They knew there had been water at the very least. They knew there was frozen water, but now they can confirm that there's actually flowing water, which is incredible. And it means I mean scientists are going to be talking about this and working on this for generations to come it's it's a really all kid, all big announcement aside, yeah it's a it, there's all kinds of things that are now legitimate questions to study mm-hmm. because they have found evidence of water uh it's flowing water but it's not like rivers yeah. it's basically water that shows up on the side of this crater and they're not exactly sure why they don't know exactly where the water comes from which is one of the things they would like to investigate so very cool hopefully this will continue to invigorate the community around NASA and around space exploration. Though we have a lot of problems on Earth that I would like us to fix in the meantime as well. Okay, Debbie Downer. Oh, I really uh, want water. We just, we just need water, Tom. Can they just solve water? Can NASA There's solve water? water? Should we go to Mars and mine the Mars for, for water? Should we it's take their much, water? It's not That's much what, water. We're good There's at that, much. right? Yeah, it's not that much. We'd be we, better it wouldn't off be getting, enough? If Do you've you know read that? Seven Eves, you'd be better off just getting a comet. Damn it. All right. Well, slam it into earth. Fascinating stuff. And guys, you can submit stories to the quick burns by heading over to our forums at goodreads.com slash sword and laser and posting them in that thread. And every other week we mine, (laughs) we mine the Goodreads thread. Thank you for stories. And you guys have been a huge help to us. So goodreads.com slash sword and laser. All right, let's jump into barrier sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Speaking of invigorating a community, <laughs> uh, Brian wrote and said, well, this, this, is this, why did you, okay. Brian says, I do my own podcast about games and gaming. Recently, there's been a metallic twang to the far end when recording our sessions. The sound in your podcast is always superior. If it's not terribly intrusive, could you tell me what software you use to re- teleconference and record? Yeah. That's not about science fiction or fantasy. It's about it's 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 still a question from the community. True, true. 
I thought people might be interested to know what we use to record and edit the show, Tom. You don't well, think that's interesting? No, I, I don't. Are you acting surprised no, because course, you didn't no. look at the barrier swords before the show started? I and now you're like, why are we answering this question? Before the show started. And I had that question when I looked at it and then I forgot to ask you. Well, anyway, we use um, we use Skype for our phone conversation or rather our teleconferencing. We don't get a situation. metallic twang, though. I don't know how to solve that part of this. question. No, I don't know what that's for either. And um also, we use Audio Hijack to record the Skype conversations on both sides of the conversation. And uh, then we use, I used to use Audacity to edit the show. I don't actually know what Jacob is using now to edit the show. He's our, he's our producer um, who edits the show after we finish recording. I think he's using, um, gosh, I can't remember. I'll have to ask him, but we'll, we'll add it in the blog post after the show, and then you can go check that out. But yeah, basically pretty simple, easy, inexpensive tools all around. I mean, Skype is free. Audio Hijack is like 15 bucks or something um, and, and gives us really good sound quality. And microphones but help too. If anyone, know, if anyone out there does podcasts and knows why a metallic twang shows up at the far end, look around in your recording space and see if there are any country music guitarists or having that big sheet of metal that you have on the <laughs> side of, of the of the microphone that you nudge occasionally uh -huh. is probably uh -huh. also not not right, optimal that, the, that you punch like a high five when you're done with your recording right right yeah that might be it you might want yeah. to look into that but no but thank you for your question i think you know we're a lot of us out there in the audience are, are podcasters and it's always good to trade information and, and learn how to make our shows sound better even if we totally didn't help him. We helped. I told him the tools I use. I don't know why he has a metallic twang. <laughs> uh, Mike wrote in and said, okay, I'm sorry for this kind of silly question. It's no such thing as a silly question, Mike. And I'm not saying that as a setup to immediately call your question silly. I mean it. Uh, my wife and I have noticed that a few recent science fiction and fantasy novels have been using the word susurrus. S-U-S-S-U-R-R-U-S. And its other forms quite a lot. Rothfuss, Tregillus, Scalzi, Graydon, all for example. We always tell each other when we encounter the word in a book or story and say, gotcha, page, whatever. <laughs> uh, is there some kind of inside joke being shared among the author community or a ritual use of the word, maybe an homage to someone? I hope bringing this up doesn't squelch or make anyone self-censor. Not our intention, just chasing a silly phantom. So I picked this uh, email because susurrus is one of my favorite words. And I think I maybe have mentioned this on the show before. And I and I like it because it's like onomatopoeia. Like it sounds like the word that it is. I think that's the right the right thing. I believe that is correct. And I feel like the first time I really noticed it in a book for Sword and Laser was Among Others. She mentioned it in the book, I think, when she was in the... Maybe, no, or maybe it was, um, what was the one with the swans? The, uh, the, the, all the brothers that turn into swans and she's in the, did I read that one on my own? Stop I'm making that face head. at me. I know you look like a golden retriever. Stop it. <laughs> Can I have a treat? It was the Irish. Swans. It was. Oh no, that was for vaginal fantasy. Never okay, mind. Yeah. Okay, uh, so you're, you're off I was the like, hook. I don't remember this, and I'm going to feel really stupid. You're off the hook. But okay, that that was also it. in that book, and I, I I think that's why maybe I'm I'm conflating it that with among others in my mind because of the Welsh slash, you know. That area of the not world. Not all Celts. Not Rock. all. Not all. Hashtag not all Celts. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it does seem like it, it comes up every so often, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really the only word that describes that sound. Wow. I mean, you could say there like a 30, gentle rustling of the leaves. 30,800 results on Google Books when I searched for the word susurrus. Well, I mean, you could really pick any word and that would come up a lot. I mean, books have a lot of words in them. Okay. Well, let's let's look at a, a comp- for comparison. What should I look up? Uh, uh, I'm just looking at Twitter right now. Do pursuit. Pursuit. 2,420,000. Okay, that's that's more. Yeah. It is more. <laughs> I'm mad. I, I think what's funny about this, about this to me is like the, the first result is the Susurus might be on the sky, but then fourth result is hiking Grand Canyon loops. Yeah, because you would hear a Susurus if you were hiking uh, Grand Canyon. The slide loops. of Susurus can add another hour or so if you want to see it. Also, the British and Foreign Medico Chirurgical Review. Oh, you know those. The ch- lowest on their ch- piano was an octave above the Susurus. Chirurgens. There were chirurgens <laughs> in another book that we read too. I remember. I can't remember what book it was. You know, Eileen was complaining that there's this woman who very kindly always brings hot chirurgens sure. to, to work, and then she can't stop eating them. It's like when I'm at AT and T Park and I buy a rally chirurgen, <laughs> right? And then you're like, ah, oh, they're just not quite as hot as they should be. And a little stale. They get a little yeah. stale by the time they get down to my row. <laughs> oh, so we have to put that into the title uh, no of the idea. show. Some no idea why Susurus. I have Susurus. also I have also noticed this though, and I didn't. I don't think I realized how pervasive it was till Mike pointed it out. Well, it's a word you know. Once you notice it, it's it's. I mean, it, it's an unusually spelt word. It looks unusual. It's not typically used in conversation. That's a big one. It, it, it's a very literary word. I feel like I'm gonna st- start working it into every conversation. There you go. <laughs> Even my husband, Ryan, knows that I love that word. And so I'll... <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm paying for my gas, buying a candy bar. And it's other form, a susurration. Like, you know, I really like the susurrus that the gas pump makes here. Do you it ever would, notice that? Wouldn't it be a, sus- a susurration? A susurration? Yeah. The susurration of the gas pump? Yeah. And then the guy's going to go, uh, excuse me? Yeah, that's tw- excuse that's, me? That's... Twelve fifty. <laughs> Give me my money. All right. <laughs> Just well, get out of here. Thank you for emailing in, you guys. Uh, the email address is feedback at certainlaser.com if you want to leave us a note about really anything about susurrations or audio recording gear or whatever you feel like talking about. <laughs> on any particular day i will either email you back or just read your email on the show without giving you any warning yeah you got any life problems yeah send them along or dear veronica i do that on that show too um hey so we have a big book of the month discussion coming up so we're going to kick off the book for october and then we're going to wrap up our book for september uh, which was A Canticle for Leibowitz. I feel like September was a really long month for some reason. Yeah, we had three episodes in it. Is that uh, why? That's why. And we, we started with Dragon Con. Mm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been going. It's, it's been, been going. going. Yeah. But uh, The Trader Baru Cormorant by Seth, Dickins- Seth Dickinson is is our pick. Uh, and we, 
Shall we talk about the controversy first? I feel like I need to get this off my chest. I know okay, you don't sure. like too much yeah. inside baseball going no, on I in the show. No, I think it's a good idea in this case. I so, think we should meet this controversy head on. So I apologize for getting the book picked to everyone so late in the month. Um, I had a very busy month filled with travel, filled with injuries and all sorts of weird stuff going on. And so I just, it, it, it fell off my radar and into the back of my mind until it was, you know, this week. But I thought it would be fun because we haven't tried this before to give the patrons a chance to do a poll to pick the book i i didn't it didn't even cross my mind because we do so many dictatorial picks that that would rub the non-patrons the wrong way um i understand now that it seems like kind of an unfair thing to do but i also want to give the patrons some interesting perks because they do help us support the show financially which is obviously you know we're very grateful for and and we want to do some fun things for them once in a while but i also don't want to take away things from the listeners who have been listening for many years who feel very invested in the club but can't financially support us via patreon yeah so so uh, veronica's responding to one person in particular who said if i have to pay to vote i'm not happy I'm yeah, paraphrasing. Like I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. And and the fact is, uh, sometimes you can't pay to vote. We do dictatorial picks where we just pick it. Sometimes mm-hmm. we do a limited poll where we o- we only pick a few books, and that's actually what Veronica did here. Uh, throwing a patron pick in there to me is like halfway between dictatorial pick where you get no vote in it and having a a limited vote. Sometimes, and I've done this before, I ask the patrons for suggestions. And then we take their suggestions and turn, you know, the most common suggestions into a poll for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try lots of different things. And if you're a patron, I think rightly so, you'll have a couple more opportunities every once in a while. But we are not going to lock it down and say every month only the people who are supporting the show through Patreon get to pick the book. We're going to continue to do it differently all the time just to keep it interesting. But I do want to say... Like, for instance, next month, I will convene... Uh, four or five neighbor people and just ask them to pick our <laughs> like, I'm just going to put a bunch of scraps of paper on the floor <laughs> and whichever one my dog touches first, uh-huh. that will be the book pick for the month. See, we, we're, we're going to try lots of different things. That's what I'm saying. And you will get a voice even if you don't pay for the Patreon sometimes. But if you're supporting us on Patreon, you're going to get a couple extra things every once in a while. I think that's only fair. Yes. And, you know, I think I will make a much bigger effort and even put this on the calendar to try to have the book pick you know, on Goodreads by like the 20th of every month, just so that you keep, and I think that's fair. That is a reasonable expectation that you guys should have of us as the book pickers or the poll makers to have a decision. So you guys have time to get the, get the books into the library and make your requests or to find it at your local bookshop or whichever way you like to consume your content, you know, give you, give you an extra week and a half to really be able to find the pick so you can start on time with everyone else who's doing it perhaps digitally. Um, So I, I get that and I will make a much bigger effort to make sure that that happens um, on a regular schedule so we don't run into this kind of thing again. Uh, but you know, I, I'm human. We're people. We, we screw up sometimes and it's hopefully you guys can roll with the punches a little bit and realize that we, we love doing this show and we're trying to make the best decisions for the community. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even human and I still screw up. There sometimes. you go. So, there you go. Uh, I, I think I think the, the scheduling thing is the one thing where I feel like, yeah, that affects everybody. That's mm-hmm. something we should definitely pay attention to. Uh, sometimes we're going to pick books that you don't like. 
you know, true. not everybody, but you, the one person listening, uh, are not going to like every book we pick. And sometimes you're not going to like the way we pick them. And that's why we keep changing it up. And we try to pick from different eras and different types mm-hmm. of subgenres uh, so that there's always something different coming down the pike. But we shouldn't be like experimenting with new ways of surprising you. With the pick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and I, I totally agree with you, Veronica. We could, we could be better about that. And we do, we really do try to make an effort to pick classic books and new books and medium books and books of all different styles and tastes. And yeah, not everyone's going to like everything all the time. And I know sometimes that the newer books, the hotter, buzzier titles can be a little more difficult to find. Um, so yeah, so this this month was tough, but I apologize, and hopefully we can we can do better moving forward. This is one of the closest to release dates we've ever done. Uh, I think maybe once or twice that I can remember have we picked a book that was released in the month before. This one was released mm-hmm. on September fifteenth. Uh, so this is not a common occurrence for us to do it that that fast, uh, and it's a really interesting book. Seth Dickinson is a graduate from the University of Chicago. He studied racial bias in police shoot, don't shoot decisions at NYU. Uh, He worked with Bungie Studios. He wrote the item descriptions and much of the grimoire fiction companion for Destiny, if you've ever played that game. Uh, He's a really interesting guy. And this this, this book is being compared in some ways to Anne Leckie's uh, books because of the fact that it's showing the machinery of a large civilization and the costs of maintaining an empire and how it conflicts with individual rights and beliefs. And this was highly recommended by author friends of the show across the board. Um, so that was one of the reasons that it really caught my interest was when I started seeing people like Chuck Wendig be like, you got to read this book. It's amazing. So yeah, I took some of that into consideration as well. Um, but it's it's apparently a little bit, on, it has some darker themes to it. Um, so maybe that's something that will turn some people off, but I don't think so. It doesn't, it's not grim dark from what people who have read the book have told me. It's just grim. Because <laughs> you, you know. It's not dark. Uh, it is epic fantasy though, and, and it is about empires. Uh, Washington Post described it this way. Tale of political intrigue and national unrest. Baru Cormorant is just a girl when the Empire of Masks conquers her island. The new rulers create roads and better sanitation, but their strong-fisted policies erode the country's economy and punish the people cruelly if they don't adhere to a rigid code of sexual conduct. Baru decides that the only way to fight such oppression is to infiltrate the government. But just how brutal will she have to become to undermine an empire? Hmm? Hmm. Barudal, sounds like. <laughs> Cormorant down. <laughs> yeah, and NPR says, it seems impossible stuff. that the economics of a fantasy world should be so viscerally riv- riveting, but they are, and it's incredible. Yeah. That's pretty uh, cool. And Tor uh, mentions that uh, they have a, an article about this we'll link to in the show notes called How Evil Science Fiction and Fantasy Empires Create Ideal Citizens. And ideal doesn't mean right. It means one who embodies the culture. And they compare uh, the ancillary justice uh, of uh, Torin One-esque Breck uh, to Baru Cormorant and saying they both have personal vendettas against their systems while they're in the process of trying to destroy them from the inside. Yet for all their rebellion, they are both in their own ways becoming ideal citizens. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for this one, and hopefully you guys are too. It, it's, it comes highly reviewed, and uh, 
It's kind of fun to get to read a new book for like a really, really new book. I never read new releases anymore. I know. I never have Same time here. for that. That's cool. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. I'm excited too. <laughs> All right. Shall we finish up a canticle for Leibowitz? Yes. Let's blow the spoiler horn, as they say on The Incomparable. Um, okay. So last we left Tom Merritt. He was saying that perhaps this wasn't his favorite classical science fiction novel that he's read to date. And I was somewhat aghast at the idea that I liked this book that Tom picked better than Tom liked this book that Tom picked. And it let's seems be clear, like such a Tom-like book. I don't pick books because I like them. I pick mm. them to help, as we mentioned earlier, like create a variety of things. I would have thought I liked this book more than I did uh, when we last spoke, too. Then I finished the book, and monks climbed on spaceships, and you had a talking mutant head baby. And that really improved things for me. Oh, so you did. So when phase three happened, you felt better (laughs) about when it got a little more sci-fi and a little less mystical? I still feel like... I think I was... I, I didn't prepare myself correctly. This is not a science fiction book. Uh, this is a religious fiction book with science fiction in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think you have to really approach it that way. That would be my recommendation to people is say, look, think of it as alternate history, religious fiction with science fiction aspects to it. Because what I love about certain science fiction books is creating a world. And we get a little bit of that in the first phase. We get more of that in the third phase. The second phase has got kind of a, a political world that you're exposed to, but you're only hinted at it. You know, you don't get to live in that world. You're really only ever living in the monastery mm-hmm. because the point of this is to make allusions to religion and how religion doesn't change through time. And really, to me, the overall theme of this book at the end is can humans overcome their innate tendency to destroy themselves? And, and it, it, you know, and that tension. And I don't think he answers it necessarily because the implication is that these monks will go off in the spaceship they'll settle the new planet and this new planet will just repeat the cycle and and probably end up with its own problems in the end but yes once we get to that third phase and you realize oh we've we've created weapons of mass destruction again and here we are on the brink again Mm -hmm. uh, i'm like okay i get it now uh and this has got a little more philip k dick in it because you've got rachel sitting there on grail's shoulder uh you know hanging out waiting to wake up at the end of it i mean that that last section with the nuclear bomb going off and the mutant head waking up and and baptizing the bishop uh that was so philip k dick before philip k dick i'm like oh philip k dick stole all of his ideas from miller apparently well Uh, you know it's it's interesting because this really is the the genesis of a lot of our post-apocalyptic tales uh, that we are seeing even today. Um, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but when I mentioned on Facebook that we were reading Canticle, I had someone who worked on the Fallout game on the Fallout game say, yes, that was a huge inspiration for the Fallout world. And when I mentioned it, uh, the Carrie Witta, who wrote Book of Eli, said, yes, there are some ties to this in, in Book of Eli as well. People have noted similarities. And it just has become part of the collective subconscious around, you know, humanity and post-apocalyptia, if that's even a word, and and how we react to, to the new world order. Um, and I, I found the the similarities in ideas to the sparrow to be very compelling as well because you know you have priests in space <laughs> once yeah, <right>? again. 
<laughs> priests in space. And 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 priests trying to carry an ancient tradition forward through adversity of many different kinds. Well, yeah, uh, I mean and, the and, and maybe the reading the sparrow did me a disservice because what I loved about the sparrow is we got to see the priests on earth. Mm-hmm. We got to see the priests dealing with a near future and we got to see the priests engage with aliens and you know, a canticle is a much more narrow slice of the world it's set in. Well, I really loved the the idea that you know the Al- Albert Al- was it Al- Did you listen to the audiobook? The Albertian Order. Oh, of it is Albertian. Okay. Yeah. Um. So the the Albertian Order of Saint Leibowitz is is charged with protecting basically all the the knowledge of mankind because they're the ones who have saved the books, and it is their 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 mo to get to, to continue in the the latin theme here their modus operandi for continuing to impart the knowledge of mankind in spite of our inability to stop killing ourselves over and over and over again like there's it, it kind of shows this value that mankind has and then also mankind's ability to just forget and to just do the same things over and over and over again you know into time and you get the sense even when the monks are leaving on on the spaceship that this will probably happen again and they know that and they say just keep sending people out into space and finding new worlds to colonize and hopefully this information will continue to travel on mankind will go on even after we start leaving planets and even after we go extinct on these planets it's it's pretty it's hopeful and depressing at the same time yeah. I mean, I was raised Catholic. I'm very familiar with that yep, feeling. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I, the, I, maybe there's parts of it that feel too familiar. Like, they don't feel exotic because they're so familiar in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I And there's a combination of things. Like, being raised Catholic, the Catholic stuff is not exotic to me. Uh, being raised in the 80s during, you know, nuclear Armageddon around the corner every minute and not having that be true anymore, that feels like old fashioned. Like not not that we aren't in danger of blowing each other up, but it was, wow, we were like just a couple seconds away from blowing each other up back then. And so that, that story from the 50s through the 80s uh, was much more relevant to your daily life than maybe it is now. But I still think it's a classic and I still really enjoyed my journey through it. And I hope the fact that you you heard me mid-journey when I was starting to doubt uh, my my role along the road, I hope that you don't take that as my, my solid opinion, because this is definitely one of those books that cooks in your head after you're done with it, and you start to realize more and more things about it. And I think that's why it's had the staying power it's had. It made me remember the things I liked about being Catholic, which were, you know, I am... It, it was maybe that's why I liked it because I grew up in that world and it was somehow comforting in some ways to feel this is gonna yeah this is gonna get a little little, little weird for a moment if we we just you know talk about this stuff but I was an altar boy you know Bring I went on. to I went to Catholic school I did the whole deal and then I I dropped out because there was so much I did not uh, that did not gel with me personally and but reading this made me remember all the good stuff and. That was comforting, and that that made me feel good, and it made me see that there is there is good in religion. Also, you know, even though I feel like as a agnostic or whatever you want to call me these days, I I you know we kind of tend to brush off religion, at least in my my personal life. So it, it made me it, it made me feel 
I had I had feelings. It made me feel feelings. I guess yeah. I, I don't really know how to better explain it. it made that's, me feel nostalgic, you're just, perhaps. You're describing good literature, then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even in the third act, with the the right to choose your own passing, the right to decide when you're ready to die, and the um. The, the abbot euthanasia there, camp. the euthanasia camp, and and the discussion around that. Like even when I felt like he was wrong to stop her and to do what he was doing or try to stop her, at the same time I I understood why he felt that way through reading the book. You know, the book made me see that point of view that I would normally just brush off. So, well, and that's an interesting theme that runs through all three phases, which is the tension between science and religion Mm -hmm. and how they can actually understand themselves in some ways better than anyone outside of either discipline can. Well, yeah. When, when, um, when Thon Thaddeo, Thon Thaddeo, Thon Thaddeo, when he goes there and he's trying to explain some of his scientific principles to the monks and they're like, yeah, we know how science works. And he's (laughs) like, but doesn't this go up against your beliefs? And I'm like, no, it's not, you're not supposed to do that literally. Like we, we understand the story and the ideas behind these things, but we don't believe that this isn't going to work without divine intervention. (laughs) We're not idiots. idiots." (laughs) And that made me laugh because that was, that was very well written and that was very true. And you know, it's, even you know, even so true to this very day when science and religion are so at odds in so many different sectors, um, you know, they're, they're, to have that middle ground was was somewhat comforting. Yeah, it's it, 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 not to get too far off of talking of Canical for Leibowitz, but I I think what he does very well is treat the issue that religion is not monolithic. Religion mm-hmm. is not one thing uh religion is made of people it's made of people's beliefs and it's varied and its manifestation is very different just within the order of Leibowitz right there Mm -hmm. are people who are very strict believers and there are people who are very reasonable and there are people who are very scientific uh and 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 when you consider religion in general that's even more true there's all different ways of having religious beliefs and approaching their interaction with the world, et cetera. And I think, I think we get tricked sometimes by modern reporting into thinking it's, it's a versus B you either Mm -hmm. believe in religion or you don't believe in religion. And if you believe in religion, you're all of these things. And if you don't believe in religion, you're all of these things. And that's not true of anybody really. Yeah. Well, let's jump into some of the discussions that you guys have been having about the book. Um, This one from uh, Lena or Lena, Uh, it's about Rachel. She says, I'm curious about people's thoughts on Rachel. Do you think she was alive? Was her, quote, birth or whatever you want to call it in the real and in the end real? Or should we write it off as the abbot's pain induced hallucinations? I thought there had to be some clue to her character in Brother Joshua's dream. So I went ahead and Googled Immaculate Conception since I'm not very familiar with the Catholic Church and their teachings. After having educated myself, I have now come to think of her as another sign of hope for humanity. Out of Mrs. Grails, this deformed, self-professed sinner of a human being, there grows a new human, or humanity if you will, that, as claimed by the abbot, has such a look of innocence on her face that he feels that his despair is lifted right before he dies. This paired with, as someone eloquently stated in another thread, the group of people escaping Earth on the spaceship along with the knowledge of what it was that led humanity to destruction this time seems to me as Miller Jr. leaving us on a hopeful note rather than humanity hecked up again and will always heck up no matter what. What do you guys think? 
Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I maybe he did, but I don't know that Miller knew exactly what he was saying mm-hmm. with Rachel. Uh, it to me feels like the symbolism occurred to him of well, we have uh, nuclear war, so we're gonna have mutations. Uh, uh, we're gonna have you know religion, so we're gonna have a baptism issue. Because, you know, is there a soul in a mutated head on your shoulder? That's a fun concept to play with. And a lot of times writers create these concepts because their settings suggest them and they're interesting to write about. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what the answer is to them any more than the characters in the story do. So I feel like this is one of those cases where the author was saying, hey, this would be an issue that these characters would have to deal with. How will they deal with it? And we, we get to that very surreal section where Rachel wakes up. Uh, I I think Miller just was inspired and carried away, and I, I wonder if he could explain it, or if it's just kind of uh, a, a, a <laughs> I almost want to say divine inspiration, uh, where <laughs> where he's like, I don't know, this is just what I think would happen with Rachel if she woke up. You know, she wouldn't have experience. She maybe she's free of original sin. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of I did some reading. Of, of various interpretations of this. And a lot of people feel that maybe she represents a new hope for her humanity, uh, the mm-hmm. way our, our poster is suggesting, and, and the renewal of humanity and the rising up out of the ashes in some way. Yeah. Um, one person, Olga, on the on the thread said that uh, as to being a hallucination or not, she says, I thought her birth was real, but the Abbott's interpretation of her being a creature of primal innocence wasn't necessarily real. That's just what he saw in her because he was a priest and the readers can see whatever they want. So, yeah, totally tying into what you just said. You know, this is a thing that's happening. How we interpret it is is up to the viewer or the reader in that case. I wanted to know more about the wandering Jew I wanted to know more about Ben's story. Yeah, I was a little disappointed that Ben, he kind of shows up in the dining hall, it seems like, in the third phase. Oh, was he uh, showing up? Was he with Brother Francis? And well, that's the kind of the implication. They never make it yeah. perfectly clear, but it's like, wink, wink, I'm still here. And, and I like, got oh, these guys great. with me now, too. So, so when are we going to get back to Ben? And then we never do. So that was again, maybe disappointing. that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want, to, and maybe I'm totally like, like I, I, I have no, no deep knowledge of, of, of Jewish mysticism or, or theories or myths or, or any of that stuff. Uh, not well read in that area at all. Um, so I can't really speculate what, what he, he was all about. Uh, I know smarter people than me are talking about it on the forums though, and I, I want, I really want to go back and read all the threads about that because people have some great ideas. It's another example of where this book treads into being religious fiction because there's no there's no scientific reason to say that ben is around and possibly lazarus like there you know Mm -hmm. there's like there's no there's no sci-fi behind that that is pure fantasy uh and, and very much a religious uh element or a religious idea so what he was supposed to represent, I, I think, is just a connection to the roots of Christianity that Miller wanted to make sure you didn't forget about. There's a base, you know, Christianity, as old as it is in my story, uh, came out of an even older tradition. And here's Ben to kind of represent that tradition. That That's the best I could come up with. Yeah, it really was the only supernatural element to this book, I would say. I guess you could claim that Rachel's birth was also somewhat supernatural, but... You could you could explain that with biology, right. you know. It it may be flimsy whether that would really happen, but it's it's less de- 
separated from science than Ben. Ben's like, whoa, really? The same guy keeps showing up come from? centuries and centuries and centuries apart. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah. Um, I liked I liked him as a character, though, in, in all the different good. phases. And, oh, yeah. So it was him, the poet, and I think Francis. I think those were I think those were his pals at the end. Yeah. And maybe that was just a cameo to be like, hey, you know what? Boom. I was really sad when Francis died when he got the arrow in the head. I know. I was so point, shocked. I thought the book was like, going to be about him. Isn't it not his? Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Different time, different place. Gotcha. Understand. Yeah. Um, but so you did. You came around on this book at the end. Yes, absolutely. Uh, still probably not as huge of a book for me at this point as it would have been if I'd read it earlier in my life. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad I got finally read it. Well, it since really I'm good. so much younger than you, I'm really glad it did come at a formative time in my life. You know, so oh, you're, I can... you're not that much Because I'm so much younger. Not that. So I mean, You really should have read this much when younger. we first met. I was, I was just, just a young ingenue then, Tom. Just ingenue? Young, I what don't know. Huh. Now I'm just an internet old, apparently, guy from Oyster. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> if you're internet old, I don't know what I want to be. You are internet goddamn I'm ancient. ancient. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you're an ancient of the internets. You're like one of those, like the the ancient like trees in World yes, of Warcraft. I'm an just walk, you're an ent. You're like an old ancient ent of the internet. <laughs> That's why I talk so slow. There you go. Well, thanks for following along with us, guys. Um, of course, as we always mention, our show is entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com sword and laser. And thank you to all of you who who kick in a little bit every month or every episode to help us do the things that we love building for you guys. Um, putting out shows, doing author interviews, you know, working on the next anthology. We have a lot of great projects in store. Speaking of interviews, actually, um, next week, no, the week after... We're going to have Catherine Valente on the show, and I'm really excited about that because I know that uh, Josh Lawrence, our theme music composer, is a big fan. He actually recommended one of her books to me quite recently, which I bought, and I know a lot of you guys out there are fans, so we'll make a thread over on Goodreads um, so you can start posting your questions to her well in advance of her appearance um, the week of the 13th, and we'll keep you up to date on more author interviews as they get scheduled. Yeah, there's lots of ways to support the show. If you get value out of our book club, just consider giving a little value back to us at patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorite books at swordandlaser.com slash picks. That's it for this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail or record a Patreon pre-roll ad for us, you can do so at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye.